This episode of Awards Chatter is brought to you by Universal Television, presenting Girls 5 Eva. Girls 5 Eva follows a one-hit wonder 90s girl group who attempts a comeback while hilariously navigating family and relationships, plus the joys and pains of middle age. The show stars Sarah Bareilles, Renee Elise Goldsbury, Paula Pell, and Busy Phillips. Don't miss the series critics call the funniest show on television. Girls 5 Eva is now streaming on Netflix and is for your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Comedy Series and all other eligible categories. Hi everyone and thank you for tuning in to the 314th episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporter's Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is one of the most talented and exciting young actresses in the business. A 23-year-old Brit who burst onto the international scene when 2016's Lady Macbeth, a low-budget arthouse film, caught on and brought her a British Independent Film Award for Best Actress and a BAFTA EE Rising Star Award nomination. And who, as a result, landed leading roles in three films released in 2019. Stephen Merchant's Sundance sensation Fighting With My Family, Ari Aster's summer release Midsummer, and Greta Gerwig's take on Little Women, which will be released on Christmas Day. In each, she plays totally different characters, and for all, she has garnered widespread acclaim. I'm talking, of course, about Florence Pugh. Over the course of our conversation at the offices of The Hollywood Reporter, Pugh and I discussed the 2015 TV pilot that almost sent her career in a very different direction, the process of making and the unexpected impact of Lady Macbeth, what it was like being on a set with Emma Thompson in 2017 when the Me Too movement first broke out, how she has processed her incredible 2019, and what is next for her. Namely, a part opposite Scarlett Johansson in Marvel's highly anticipated Black Widow, which will be released in America on May 1st. And so, without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Florence, good to see you again. Thank you for coming in. We always begin on this podcast with just a few basics. Where were you born and raised, and what do your folks do for a living? Uh, I was born and raised in, well, born in Oxford and raised some part in Spain. And what do my parents do, did you yeah. say? My mom was a dancer, and then she became a dance teacher. And my dad is a restaurateur. I read there might have been a, a reason for part of that time being in Spain. Is that true? What was the, what's, the, what's the reason? Well, I mean, the way it was reported in some of the, some of the prep I was doing, it sounded like you'd been a little sick. Oh, yes. <laughs> that reason. I was waiting for you to be like, well, apparently you got kicked out of England. <laughs> um, no, I was. I, sp- I spent a lot of my childhood ill. I have a breathing problem. My, my trachea is um, slightly disabled. And so as a kid, being in the wet weather really wasn't handy because cold season would be pretty much all year round other than two months in the summer. And I think one of the suggestions was, well, if you go to a dry climate, you'll be able to breathe a bit better for a bit longer. Was that um, true? Yeah, well, I think it was. But I, mine, mine is like a, an issue within myself. It's not like I had a, a, an issue with getting sick because mm-hmm. sickness is around. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I was just weak and my breathing wasn't good. And if I got ill, it was very, very scary. So just to cut down those chances, we lived in the sunshine. <laughs> well, everybody, and especially on a podcast, is going to notice you have this great voice. And I wonder if yeah. that might have anything, do you think it has anything to do with the... Most definitely. Yeah. yeah. You're going to hear me like grunt as well during this. <laughs> my laugh is very much like it's a piggy noise. And when people first meet me, they're like, oh my God, what happened? Did you just burp? And I'm like, no, actually, I have a funky trachea. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, good explanation. Yeah. Um, so I guess when and how did performing of any sort first enter the picture is usually it's like a school play or something right yeah it was a school play um but i think even before that there's four of us and my older siblings uh my sister's 10 years older than me and my brother's four years older than me and my mum has always been a performer and my dad is loud and uses his hands <laughs> um so doing that has always been a very easy, wonderful thing that our family liked doing. And when I was younger, I I remember even in Spain going to watch my sister in plays or my brother in plays. And I think from a very young age, I've always wanted to be as good as them. 
because and you're the youngest. Or I the, was the youngest was, for okay. seven years, <laughs> and then my mum decided to pop another one out without warning everyone. No consultation, which is bizarre if right. you think about it. <laughs> so, um, what was the game plan prior to? 17 when which i'll ask you about in a minute when things started to get serious but yeah prior to that what did you actually think you were going to do with your i like, was going to do acting or, or singing okay yeah i was a, i am a singer songwriter as well although it's slightly slacked over the years but for a while actually the heat of of singing and guitar was bigger than um than acting uh, i think my brother entered the industry when he was 16 and he did a uh, tv show which was for um, music writers it was called Orange Unsigned Acts. And he uh, did that and and got a deal. And then through that, he, he became an actor. So his way in was already a bit unique and a bit odd. And I just had no idea how you even get to act. Like, I, it's such a big world of many possibilities of how you get in there. So I had no idea. And my singing had been going on YouTube since I was, like, nine. My mum would record my guitar lessons because I would always forget the chords that I'd learned in that lesson. And she, she started recording them being like, well, now you're going to have to practice because I have proof. Right. Um, and then she started putting them on YouTube. And I don't think she fully understood that they were there to be seen by everyone. I think she kind of put them on there as like a storage <laughs> place. And I ended up picking up some traction. And I think... I was early in my teens, I was 13, and I was a bit scared about the idea of doing music and, and I was always worried that I was going to lose my childhood and I think that really did scare me a little bit. So I kept on saying no and putting it off, putting it off, and I always, because the the heat was there, I remember thinking, well, it'll always be there, which obviously is a silly thing to think. <laughs> but I was, you know, it was there and I was younger and I could do it and I was also wanting to be at school, so I just carried on and then um when when the the falling came about it was uh, the first not only the first movie but the first audition right of any for any professional thing yeah it was my first ever audition really? so ever. how does that even come about <laughs> that's crazy well i know it's totally nuts and still to this day whenever i do any interviews i'm like it was a fluke okay <laughs> it was a total fluke i just happened to be in the right place at the right time and um when i was 17 there was this um leaflet audition going around from London to Oxford and all the towns in between were all given this leaflet audition because they needed to find a school's worth of girls and they needed girls from age 13 to 18 and they were just trying to find girls, basically. So this leaflet went round and my brother had been in the industry for probably three, four years since by that point. And I knew how cutthroat auditions were. I knew that it doesn't actually, it ends up being a no more often than it is a yes. I know that they they don't actually want to see little people's tapes. They actually will actually give the role to someone who's big, even though they say that they want an unknown. And I just kind of, because I've just heard all of these horrors from my brother, <clears throat> I kind of saw it as a non-thing. And then I remember every, everyone was talking about it. Everyone was talking about it for about a month. And I came home one day and my mum was like, have you done that tape? And I remember laughing, being like, what, what do you mean have I done that tape? You, of all people, know that's not how it works. And she laughed and she was like, no, I know that's not how it works. You're not going to get it. But I do think that considering you want to do this for some point in your life, why don't we just give it a go? So um, we did the tape, handed it in, and then come Monday, I got an email saying that the director wanted to meet me. Now, let me just ask you this. I, one thing I had seen was that it got so close, just because this was like... Who knows what would have happened if mm. that first thing didn't happen? Mm. You got within twenty minutes of missing the deadline. Literally, it was the day of the deadline. <laughs> yeah, it was this. It was a Saturday, and I'd just come back from school, and I like, and I had almost been like, "Why are they even doing that tape? No one's gonna see it." Like, I just thought I. I knew and still to this day I think like casting is really difficult doing auditions is really difficult and getting your face seen by anyone is really really hard so I will still say that that was like right time right place I met the right people and they were willing to find an unknown like a genuine unknown you said that was like a was it a Friday? Yeah, it was Saturday. A Saturday. Literally yeah. Saturday. And then come Monday, they they emailed saying the director wanted to meet you. And bear in mind, I've done no audition. Like, not like any professional audition ever in my life. I've only done stuff in plays. Right. Um, <laughs> like, at school. At school, yeah. 
And then I'm suddenly prepping to go in and meet Shaheen Beg, who is one of the like most amazing top casting agents in London, and Carol Morley, who is the director. And the experience of doing your first professional thing, it was, uh, I mean, it was, I guess it would be a pretty indie project, right? Oh, it was, I fell in love. I left school for two months with the promise that I was going to go back. And you would have been in the... And the British equivalent of like my last year, last year of school. Of high school. So yeah. all the exams are happening yeah. and I leave for two months. And my mum's like, you do realize you're not just like skiving. You have to go back <laughs> afterwards. And I was like, yeah, I know. Um, and all the teachers hated me. And um, as you can imagine, um, but did it and it was total magic. And I fell in love with film and there was a female director and the, the majority of the crew were, fe- were women. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was my first experience to filmmaking. And I remember when it came out, Carol kept on going on about how many women there were on set <laughs> and she kept on saying it in every single interview and I remember thinking this like why are you going on about it all the time like all right there's so many women and then I stepped on my second set and I was like oh there's no women right doesn't now happen. I understand so the first thing I think right after that movie would have been actually a TV mm, project, yeah, right? Yeah. So this is, it was called Studio City. Mm-hmm. It was going to be you with Heather Graham and Eric McCormack. Now, was that you auditioned for a pilot, basically? Is that how that worked? Yeah, my first pilot season. First I, so after The Falling, I went and did like two years of auditions, basically. And I just I just had to learn how to do auditions. And it's, it's a real skill. A, keeping hold of your nerves and not having too many coffees and <laughs> stop sweating, they can see. Right. It's like, it's um, it's terrifying. So I had to figure that out. And I did my first pilot season and I did this audition and um, the word back was that they wanted to do a a screen test in L.A. And they would fly me over for three days. It would just be for three days and we would do the audition on one of the days and then you'd go straight back. Had you been here before? Never. Sorry. The reason why I keep on coughing is because I just ate a chocolate (laughs) Eccles cake (laughs) and and it's it's haunting me now. Um, uh, I'd never been to America before, never been to L.A., n- nothing. Um, my brother had been. My brother fell in love with L.A. I knew that it was really big. I knew that I'd probably love it. I got here. I did not love it. You came over by yourself? Yeah. At 19? 19. Yeah. And what do you remember about what was here? I was staying in the Sheraton Universal City, and I locked myself in the door. And I was like, look, I'm here for three days. I'm not going to, you know, screw up my jet lag. I'm just going to come here for the audition, then I'll go back. And obviously I don't know anyone in LA and I, I don't, I, this was actually the first time I downloaded Uber. So I didn't know how to do Uber <laughs> either. And I remember I was so, like I did the audition, it was great. And I was so excited to go home because I'd literally just been in this foreign city that I couldn't walk, I couldn't even walk. Yeah, which for a, yeah. an English person is like, what? <laughs> And I, I went to the airport and I checked in my bag and I was so excited. And then as I was handing my ticket over, I got a call and I thought that they were probably going to be calling me about a receipt that I needed to hand in or something. <laughs> and I picked up and they were like, hey, Flo, are you at the airport yet? And I was like, uh, yeah. And they're like, oh, we're going to need you to come back. <laughs> I was like, what? They're like, we're going to need you to leave the airport. And I was just like. Um, so I had to fabricate some reason as to why I couldn't get on the plane. And well, they wanted you to come back to continue to read or what? To do another audition that okay. day. They were oh, like, wow. we want you to come and read at two. Mm-hmm. And it was like 12. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then um, you can go home tomorrow. So then left the airport, demanded my bags, went to do the audition. They put some makeup on me. And then I went, tried to go to the airport the next day. And then they did the same thing. Same thing. So I didn't leave. I stayed for two months. And was this, this would have been on, uh, I guess you, do you know which network it was I think for? it was going to be Fox. Okay. So this big time, big it network huge, show. Yeah. yeah. And they do notoriously do a lot of these, a whole circus to get the part. You finally now find out you get it? Finally, no, I now get it. The good news is that I got it. The bad news is that I'm not allowed to go home. I've still got three days worth of clothes. Bear <laughs> this in mind. is all in that same yeah, trip. Yeah, this is all in that same trip. I'm not, I haven't left yet. And uh, I ended up making something that was so not me and I think I had a bit of like a a bit of an identity issue because I I had fallen in love with this first film and I I thought that that's how you made movies and here I was at the you know epicenter of everything any actor ever wants and I've got this role and it's with all these A-listers and it's my role I'm the lead of the show and I was miserable well 
there's actually a pretty specific reason why you were not happy with them, right? I, yeah, I was not happy because I was body shamed over and over again, which I've spoken about so many times. Uh, but yeah, I, I think everything that I loved about that small little Lindy was total opposite. And obviously we all we all hear the horrors of, of stories about Hollywood and we all hear how women are constant and men are constantly pulled apart. And I think you just kind of put that in your head and, and I didn't think that it was going to actually be that obvious. Well, and it's also a little weird because it's not like you're, A, it's rude in, in any situation, but B, you're not like a big no, person. No, but I think I didn't fit what they wanted. And I think... I think something that when I did that project, I finished and I was not happy and I was a bit worried that I'd spent two years wanting to do acting and actually this is what the real acting was like and I was not up for that. And so when the show didn't go through, I remember feeling a huge relief. Because you did a pilot, right? I did a pilot, yeah. but... Um, it was going to go and it really was oh, going to, it oh, was, really? no, but, but the, when we were making it, it had Heather Graham, oh, as, you know, yeah, Janine Mason, yeah. Eric McCormack, the writer of uh, Grey's Anatomy. Like it was, it was going to happen and it didn't go. So I think it was very shocking to a lot of people. And I just remember feeling a little bit relieved because I don't think I was happy doing that kind but of work. But it's not, you don't feel like it didn't go because you had pushed back on that. It just, fortunately it didn't go. Sadly, I didn't push back because I was 19. Uh, okay. So, um, I, this was the whole kind of sad thing about it was that I couldn't go home. I didn't know anyone out here. And this was this big job that they were just holding out to me. And the thing that they were asking me to do was to, to change how I looked, um, which if you told anyone that they'd be like, yeah, but that's Hollywood. So I think at 19, I was very aware that this job could, I mean, they brought in girls from all over the world to audition for this part. I, you know, it's it's not hard to make someone feel like they're replaceable. It's very very easy in in this line of work because you you come out of an audition and they're sat right there. And at the beginning of a career, I would guess, you know, that can be a life changing thing if you. It, it you was get, right. You're gonna make good money. It's totally. nice opportunities. It would have launched me, but in a different direction. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'm not saying you know there are tons of actors that are totally okay with doing that, and that's absolutely fine. That there's a whole industry that works off that. They they work off at what you look like, and and they are literally selling billboards on a morsel of fat on your arm. Like I understand that there is a part of this industry that works like that, and that is if you can do that, that is fine. I was just hurt by it. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't ready for LA and I actually swore that I wouldn't come back until I knew exactly what it was that I was representing. And so I guess at that point, Shaheen re-enters the picture. So the show is done. I'm now worried that this is what filmmaking and, and series making is actually like. And then two weeks later, I get this email from Shaheen saying, hi, read script below. I really think you should come in and read this. Um, and I opened the script to Lady Macbeth. Mm -hmm. And we should just tell if anyone hasn't yet seen it, they should. But also they should not make the same assumption that I believe you made too, which yeah. is like, oh shit, this is some Shakespeare I have to learn, <laughs> yeah. right? No, it's I, not. And it's not Shakespeare. It's Lady Macbeth of Matensk, which is written by Nikolai Leskov. It was a novella. And Alice Birch made the book into a screenplay. And I, I love Shaheen. Shaheen is a like she's someone that is almost my double agent. Like she gets me things when I'm right for them and then she'll go quiet for a year and then she'll have a new, you know, she's someone that is very loyal. And if she has you in mind for something, she'll fight for you. Um, I went into this audition and I didn't think it went very well. <laughs> I, uh, I then heard that it did go well. Do you remember what they had you do? Yeah, they had me just do the scene where he says, are you cold? Which if you've seen Lady Macbeth, mm -hmm. you know, it's not a very bright and happy scene. <laughs> but yeah, so I did that and um, then came back and did a chemistry read with Cosmo um, and a few other actors. And I just remember feeling how alive Cosmo is and was as a person and an actor. And then um, I got the job. And what was so unique about what that film meant to me and about that character was it was everything that Studio City w was not. Um, and I think Will really loved the fact that I was comfortable and happy and ready. And I think being Catherine was so freeing to me. Everything about her is getting what she wants. She's we should say it's like an unhappily married woman, 19th century, yeah. who 
goes off a little bit. Uh, yeah, she's trapped. She's, yeah. she's forced into an arranged marriage uh, for land, and she is given these rules. She's not allowed to leave. She's only allowed to read her prayer book, and uh, she changes twice a day, but that's literally w- what she does for an entire half an hour of the film. And then her husband leaves, and she decides to play. So she finds a, a stable boy who looks pretty hunky, and she, <laughs> uh, I suppose discovers sex yes. which is such a big part of her story and her trajectory and and she's whenever she's happy she's naked or in a nighty and i think for me like just the very fact that those two projects represent two very different things and i'm allowed to be my body in one and i'm allowed to move how i am and i'm allowed to have my curves and my dimples and all and 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 i and you know that film needed that it needed someone to just be like Rah! well you've said that getting the part you recognize was a, a risk, a gamble on the part of the people that cast you, but also you said it was terrifying. But yet, listening to you just now, it doesn't sound like it was terrifying for the reasons that it would have been for a lot of people, which is that there is a decent amount of nudity and some other you know, things that might not be for everyone. So what was the most scary part about doing that? Um, I, no, I, I, I will put my hands up and say that I am terrified by every role I play. Every single film I've ever done, I've been totally terrified of doing. And I love that. Catherine, A, I was scared about doing the accent. B, I didn't know if I could do any of the things that it says that I could do. I just knew that I loved the way she was. And I loved the way that she was instinctual and um, went and got sex, basically. I just thought that that was just so amazing to see in a young woman on screen. But, yeah, I was I was very scared of scenes. And, I mean, I don't know how many people <laughs> would have watched this, but there's a certain scene at the end which is particularly horrible and I, I uh, deal with something in my own hands. And I didn't know what to expect from that. And as an actor, you read it on the page and are like, oh, yeah, I can imagine exactly how they want that. And you have no idea if you can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was my fear with, with Lady Macbeth. But to be honest, the shoot was so fast. We shot it in like three and a bit weeks. Wow. Saturdays as well. We were exhausted by the end. That it was, it was just like a train that couldn't stop. And then suddenly it stopped and everyone was like, <laughs> how many people have I killed? <laughs> right. Well, now you didn't have, obviously, that many points of reference yet so how early on did you realize this actually had gone really well I didn't we didn't we I think when we made it we were all there for one reason which was the script was incredible um Will was a was a first-time filmmaker all of us as actors had probably only done like a couple of things but um nothing that we could be like hey look at this there was a lot of trust between all of us to make this film and everybody was being paid peanuts not because they were being nasty but there was no money yeah, in the film the film got made for a, it was a funded film yeah um and it was made for a quarter of a million and we just were so excited to be there and well i guess the the undeniable proof that it went over well it was a film festival favorite it was a critic's favorite mm. you win the british independent film award for best actress yes. you get nominated for the bafta rising star award that was after a little while but i yeah. think it was a reflection of certainly at least in part lady macbeth and i guess it then opens up a whole new audience for for you people that want to work with you right it was all could you see that it directly came out of that all the next yeah, round of offers most definitely i'd say the falling got me lady macbeth mm-hmm. and lady macbeth has given me the last two three years was the first major you know kind of thing to come out of it outlaw king at least in terms of releases, it was, I would think. But No, no? The, the biggest one... Hang on, let me think about my timeline for a second. Um, I think the next big one was fighting with my family. Right out of right away. So even though... Yeah, I mean, I guess because that was in the That's camp correct. for a while, right? Yeah, fighting with my family. Just only because in between the releases of Lady Macbeth and fighting with my family, you packed it quite a bit into 2018, yeah. where we have Ella <laughs> King... King Lear with Anthony Hopkins and Emma Thompson and The Little Drummer Girl, which was a limited series on AMC, all period pieces. Um, I guess just before we go on to Fighting With My Family, I should just do a couple of follow-ups on those. Sure. So Cordelia in King Lear with Anthony Hopkins and Emma Thompson, Emma Thompson from what I've read, other stuff you've said was sort of became sort of like a mentor. Right? Yeah, most definitely. What what a part of it? She's just a heavenly creature. 
I've always looked up to her as an actor, but also I think she's an amazing person. She's so intelligent. And when I worked with her, she is exactly what you fall in love with on screen. She is that big, lovable, intelligent, uh, gorgeous woman that just wants to, like talk to you and learn from you and educate you like it was it was magical it's funny because you're often a lot of these articles have have likened you to kate winslet when she was starting out right yeah and i think if i remember correctly when we had kate winslet on this podcast she was saying that i think early on it was emma thompson who was telling her as well when people were saying you're a little too big for us or whatever to go fuck themselves right so yeah. that might, and I think you were with Emma Thompson when the Me Too stuff happened, Most right? definitely, yeah. So that might have, it's just the parallels kind of interesting. Well, it was, I have to say, it was one of the most amazing places for me to be when all of that broke out. And I was on set with Emily Watson and Emma Thompson and, I mean, so many wonderful men and women. And this horrific thing happened to Hollywood where all it all it came out and and we needed to talk about it and i i've never i'd never come close to anything like that and i just i remember coming in one day and and emma and emily kind of like pulled me aside and said we're going to talk about this and we're all going to talk about this and we're going to discuss this uh, and actually that evening emma went on and did one of those amazing statements remember when she yeah. said that speech about this is just the tip of the iceberg or right, something like this right right um and she literally left our rehearsal and then went to go and do that, you know, amazing little paragraph that she did. Um, and they just sat me down and, and spoke at me in, in, in the best way. And I'd never, I had never heard half of the stories or um, knew how long this had gone on for. I think we all hear about, you know, old, horrid, old mm-hmm, Hollywood, but mm-hmm. I, I, I most certainly wasn't aware of anything that was in my time in my well, career. Well, it's amazing, because luckily you just missed it, like just missed it. Yeah, but but equally women my age didn't just right. miss it, and it was still apparent when, you know, I actually started, so it was amazing to have those women talk to me about it. Yeah. Little Drummer Girl, I guess the thing we should talk about there is that that's a pretty grueling thing to do, a six-part yeah. limited series. I don't get the sense you're going to necessarily rush back to do that again <laughs> based on things you were... I mean, you were, I think, towards the end of that, actually. And so we're saying that was after you did Fighting With My Family? Hang on a second. Let me get this straight. <laughs> right. <laughs> Making Order was The Falling, Studio City, Lady Macbeth, another film... That I don't want to talk about. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, fighting with my family. Yeah. Then it was Outlaw King, King Lear, Little Drummer Girl, <laughs> Midsummer, Little Women, Black Widow. Wow. Okay. Well, so I think you're in progress with Little Drummer Girl when you hear about Midsummer. Yeah. And not necessarily itching to go do another project, having been immersed in a big one. No, I think it was just that I I knew that I'd gone back to back for a while and I knew that I was most probably tired. I think when when you're working on a film set, there's so much adrenaline and there's no time for you to be tired. And that's fine. I love that. But I suddenly started realizing and counting up my on my hands that I hadn't had a break in like two years or something. And I was like, uh, I should probably actually stick to what I've been saying for the past year and actually have a break and maybe have a summer and maybe just chill out for the rest of the year. Why was that not happening? Was it sort of uh, folks around you saying, you know, you strike while the iron's hot? Let's no, go. it's because of me. Yeah, I'm, I, I fall in love with scripts and yeah. then I can't imagine not doing them. <laughs> so I actually now tell my agents, I'm like, don't send me anything because right. if I read it, <laughs> I will want to do it. <laughs> um, and that's the thing is like when I fall in love with a weird and wonderful character, I'm so upset to imagine someone else doing it and in this case it's like a guy who's pretty hot coming off of uh hereditary Ari Aster who's now sending another but very different horror movie and so you read it and immediately say like what well it was it was kind of worse than that it was like I had just finished 
a night shoot on Little Drama Girl and I, there was actually two night shoots, but I, I just finished a night shoot and I got an email from my agent being like, I know you've told us that you don't <laughs> want to work this summer, <laughs> but we think you should take a look at this because this director is shit hot. And I remember them saying he's shit hot and I was like, <laughs> okay. Right. And they were like, have you heard of Hereditary? It's coming out round about now. Uh, just read any of the reviews. We think you're going to want to get your hands on this script. And I'm, I'm only just now getting into the phase of acting where like I, I maybe don't have to tell everyone who I am and what I've done. <laughs> but but up until probably uh, maybe even like this April, I had to, you know, say, oh, well, I've done this, 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 right, this. Right. And just after Little Drummer Girl, I remember calling my English agent and I said, how likely is it? Because mm-hmm. a lot of times when you go in for these like long haul trying to get the job kind of competitions, you do it for months and then they end up going for someone who's super famous and you, you just feel... So heartbroken because, I mean, the amount of times I've given ideas over and I've been like, I feel like this, this, this. And then, of course, they cast someone who they knew was going to get the funding. So it's I, I remember calling her and I said, how likely is it that like are they actually considering me or is it going to be a game, mm-hmm. essentially? And she said, I think it's likely. And I was like, okay, <laughs> tell them I want the script. Right, right. Um, and then they sent me the script and I FaceTimed Ari and I think we fell in love with each other. <laughs> that gets committed to do it. But again, I'm just, forgive me, but yeah. I'm trying to keep track. of sure. So now you had already done Fighting With My Family. Yes. So Fighting With My Family, we're going to, jump back and talk about now yes because (laughs) i mean the other thing that's cool is that there's not obviously you've you've packed a lot into the last few years but none of these things are quite like each other which i'm sure is part of the the game plan but like this is a hell of a different thing than anything else when you you're coming from all these kind of period things to then go and play a goth (laughs) girl who decide who ends up as a professional wrestler so can we just <laughs> Talk Let's about take a pause for a Let's second. <laughs> digest that. Um, and I remember they they did kind of an early early screening of that, and I don't think I had seen anything at that point, anything else you'd done, including Lady Macbeth. Right. And I was like, this is very interesting. And then it was even more interesting when you realize, then you go see Lady Macbeth, yeah. and there's the contrast. But talk about this project. Just it's coming in a in an interesting way too, because there's the documentary. That kind of was a TV documentary that was the idea. But then there's The Rock, which is like a, you know, the opposite in terms of like a high profile. Mm -hmm. And so how do you how do you wind up as a wrestler? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Shaheen Baig casted it again. Again. Wow. And um, she sent out the auditions. And and this one, I didn't know that I was close for. And and neither did Shaheen. Mm -hmm. I think she just likes to get people in yeah. and so I went in and I'm I well no actually I sent a tape in first and Stephen liked what he saw so then uh a, Stephen a, Merchant yeah. who has de- basically co-created the office that's yeah. among yeah. other things no yes. totally so I went in and I did a read through with him and he gave me some suggestions and all of that and you know every every time I went down those stairs or came up those stairs there was another amazing actress on the sofa that I had loved or appreciated or that looked. you felt you're up against. We yeah we no I'm saying yeah yeah we, I think I think like some of my most amazing heroes yeah. were there. So the pressure was on, yeah. and it was like every single time I came in, I knew that I was being given another shot. Right. And so I I really took that audition process really seriously, and I I looked up. The character and I, I looked up Paige on YouTube and I, I watched her fight I watched her talk, I watched the documentary I watched her family, how they spoke, I made sure that I, I was doing a good job because this was a really unique and weird project well, like so strange like, um, Is wrestling even a th- comparably big thing in yeah, your in England? It is, it is, it is yeah. a thing in England. I didn't grow up on it so I didn't know anything about it um, and I didn't know anything about the life or the industry or, or what it was to be a wrestler so it was like total blank canvas for me but I knew that the writing was incredible and I knew that the story was incredible and, and if it's going to be done by like the documentary then my goodness right. I need to work hard on this so uh, I remember the, the pressure was on for the audition and we 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 did it and then finally I was doing a chemistry with Jack Loud and, and we just 
like our siblings anyway mm-hmm. so we'd be punching each other and <laughs> like pulling each other's hair in the audition it was just perfectly you guys natural already known each other? no 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 we just we just clicked that's great the power of chemistry yeah is. and then i got the job and i remember i sat down to have like a congrats- congratulatory breakfast with steven and we were sat eating and, and having a chat and he goes well anyway i'm so excited because um you're gonna get going on the uh the the fitness and the the wrestling yeah. straight away and i was like oh Yes, that of part. course, that part where I have to become a wrestler, sure. Right. And he was like, oh, and, and also, um, how exciting is this? Uh, basically, in February, you're going to be doing uh, Monday Night Raw in front of like 20,000 people. <laughs> and I remember going, huh? At the Staples Center. At the Staples Center. Yeah. He was like, yeah, yeah, we're going to go out there and we're going to do that final match. You know the final match? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, we're going to do it in front of 20,000 people. <laughs> and I remember and the, at that point, you'd wrestled exactly how many times? Zero. Right, right. <laughs> zero times. Right. And I had two months to get ready. That's great. Well, I mean, that was fantastic. Thank the, you. And, uh, and so then to come back to talking about Midsummer, if people... Did not see it yet. It was out, I think it was this this summer. Yeah, this summer. And um, essentially, a grieving young woman who thinks that it might be helpful to go on a trip with her (laughs) friends, except that it ends up becoming sort of a nightmare. And so this one was in Budapest, Mm -hmm. and they built the whole Mm -hmm. compound there. Mm -hmm. And... um, the thing that, you know, has been turned into a meme and clips and everything, gifts, whatever, is your sobbing because it is yeah. constant throughout. You know, this is a, tr- a very emotionally traumatized person and um, goes through a lot of crazy shit in this story. Where do you go to come up with that? Like, <laughs> do you, or what do you think about something? Uh, so I had a tricky time with that aspect as well. Basically, Danny is the, Danny Arda is the character that I played and she suffers an immense family tragedy at the beginning at the very beginning of the film and she is grieving and in mourning for the entirety of the film sadly this comes at a time where her and her relationship is already on the brink uh her boyfriend Christian who's played by Jack Rayner their relationship is already cracking and then this tragedy happens so essentially and in a, a very sad way he's stuck and I think that's fair to say that that she has no one else and he is her only person so their relationship is stuck definitely turns out that he's going on holiday this summer with all of his friends and she feels like he's hidden that from her which he has Mm -hmm. and so he feels obliged to invite her to come along I read the script and I knew exactly what was needed from that role. The whole point, the whole crux of that script is, and that story is that she's always on the brink of having a breakdown. And when you know the tragedy that she goes through, that's completely understandable. And, and your heart is breaking with her throughout the entire script. I am a big believer that if you, as an actor, you have a, a job, which is if you feel like the character is going to be done better and in a in, and in a more authentic way by someone else you have to let that happen and you have to give that to the character and I've I've always believed that and I've turned down jobs because of that because I've, I really feel like there are going to be scripts when a specific person needs to play that and that's not me on this occasion I read this script and as much as I desperately wanted to do it I was totally terrified that I had no idea how to feel that level of grief I'd never seen it I'd never come close to it I, I'd never, I, I don't even know where that would come from mm-hmm. in a person. And, and this is a script that entirely depends on seeing that throughout the entire film. So there was a big portion of me that was like, yes, this is amazing. And yes, this is an incredible part, but I don't know what that is. And is someone going to do it? justice essentially so I went through that for for a bit and then I, I I tried to imagine other people playing it and me going to watch it in the cinema and I like almost nearly cried <laughs> so I was like all right okay I do know that I can do it I think I'm just gonna have to figure it out and I, I have to be mean on myself and I have to make sure that at no point in this performance am I faking mm-hmm. or or acting in, in a sense so um obviously said yes and then I throughout that film would have to take myself away and put headphones on and listen to Olafur Arnold's and essentially just imagine every member of my family in a coffin which was um 
brutal. Yeah, and to sustain that over three months. Yeah, I mean, I know that there's lots of actors that will be like, why did you do that? Why didn't you just cry? But in all honesty, I can't just cry on cue and I needed to find a way of, of doing it. I wouldn't suggest doing it anytime soon. Wow. And I probably won't do it again for a while. But I, you know, every time you hear that guttural pain, mm-hmm. it's um, pain. Yeah. <laughs> well, in the middle of all of this, where you're you're in that mindset, you, you hear from Greta Gerwig? <laughs> <laughs> well, no. No? Even better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even more emotional. Before I go off to do uh, Midsummer, I'm over here in L.A. doing TCAs for Little Drummer Girl. Right. And the, the whispers of Little Women is, is out. Everybody knows it's happening. Everybody's been wanting to know what Greta's going to do next. Guess what? She's got Saoirse and Timmy back. Everyone's like, oh, my God, it's Little Women. <laughs> Literally going nuts. And I've already said yes to Midsummer. So I, and the dates cross over. And we were aware of that. I even checked in with my agents. They were like, it's just it. Don't even bother. It's, yes, it would be cool to be part of that conversation. But you're not part of that conversation. So don't worry about it. I was like, all right, cool. And then when I was out. <laughs> here I got uh, Greta wanted to meet me uh, with Amy Pascal the producer so I went around her house and did you just, suspect what that was about no I didn't even think that it was not going to work and also the inquiry hadn't been about a specific part it was just like all right we want to meet you you're in town so I went around the house and we chatted for hours and then finally like in the middle of us just chatting normally Greta goes well, I'm so excited to work with you. And I was like, what? And she goes, yeah, I, I mean, I just hope these dates will work out, but I'm so excited to work with you. And I remember being like, have the dates been sorted out? Like, is it all good now? And essentially they hadn't. And I, my team and Greta and Ari moved mountains to make it work. And I called them both one day. Because I was told that I had to make a choice and I, I was just like, I can't imagine not, I can't imagine not doing one of these characters. Like, I really, really can't. And I'd already said yes to Ari. Mm-hmm. So I called Ari and I was like, Ari, I'm really sorry, but can you do something for me? I need you to move the shoots by like three days. <laughs> Which fun. may seem small, but it's not small okay. for a film that's already on very little budget and it's jam packed every single day. And then I did the same for Greta. Um, and they did. They really, they moved And the biggest everything. thing on the Greta end of it was just that, whereas the others were able to rehearse a little bit together, mm. that you had to miss? It was also seasons. Greta needed all three seasons. She needed summer, autumn and winter. Right. And just a week in Boston, the outskirts of Boston, uh, changed. It changed. And so she said, I completely understand where you're coming from, but I... I can't like I need these seasons and I need all the girls in these seasons and I I understood both of what they were saying but it was still like oh my god anyway they made it work and I missed the two weeks of rehearsal and every single time they messaged me I'd send them a picture of me in my flower crown like (laughs) burning someone (laughs) it's uh, all yeah yeah, understandable yeah yeah. if you've seen Midsummer yes yes (laughs) and um I think Greta was very confused as to why I was wearing like a Christmas pudding for a dress (laughs) (laughs) so now literally Midsummer shoot ends and how quickly I I literally finished my last day screaming in a field (laughs) with a fire going on behind me um I wrap up I pack my bags. Four days later, I'm in Boston. And I know this is a question you've gotten a lot, but just I think a listener would want to know. Little Women is like an, a great American classic. Yes. Is it something people know about in England? Most definitely. Yeah. yeah. It's a classic. And you had already been familiar with it yourself. Yeah. My gran read it to me when I was younger and I'd go around, I'd go stay around her house on the weekend and she'd read me a chapter at a time and um, she'd make sure I didn't go to sleep at all the good bits. <laughs> and what about, was there one character that you particularly responded to in those days? I think it's very easy to respond to Joe because it's from her perspective and she's very exciting. But I do remember finding Amy very exciting. And I remember my gran, who's a bit naughty, when she burnt the book, my gran put the book down. She goes, what a wicked, wicked girl. And I remember even though my gran was saying wicked, wicked girl, she had like this little twinkle. Twinkle, And um, yeah, I think she's just delicious and so easy to love and dislike. And so when you had had that meeting with Greta and Amy Pascal, that's when they told you this is which 
of the little women they were no thinking. no no they went through the whole thing and they were like so we're thinking joe for i mean Sersha for joe i don't think they'd figured out meg yet i don't think they'd figured out beth yet either so i was like this is gonna be interesting yeah. and then Could finally you have seen yourself as th- those others i don't i think if greta goeg's offering you a role yeah, you, you go all right i'll do it <laughs> <laughs> i don't think you get picky right, right, right. um and then i i went back and she sent me an email and she was like hey love do you mind taping yourself as young amy and old old amy Mm -hmm. just because i want to see if you can do it like can you can do both ages so i went back and i went to go and visit my parents and i did a scene with my mum and i remember my mum was playing all the characters (laughs) and she loved it and i was like mum you're getting too excited okay That's great. Yeah. And so, well, this was a this was something that surprised me. I mean, I, I would think going into this, you know, the, the person, if there's somebody in this cast that you have this unbelievable cast, this unbelievable ensemble that who you have dreamed your whole life of working with, <laughs> that would be Meryl Streep. And yet, if unless I'm reading bullshit online, that is not who it was. No. So, I mean, don't get me wrong, Meryl. <laughs> if you're listening to this, I love you. And I have always right, wanted to work right, with you. Right. No, of course it's Meryl. Like, yeah, I mean, Meryl is one of, but I, I, everybody's looked up to her and loved her as a, an actress and a woman. And she's just so cool. And she represents everything that women want to see on screen. Of course, she's someone that I've always wanted to act with. Uh, but I've just been in love with Saoirse since I was about nine years old. So what was Lovely Bones or what was it? That... I watched Atonement when Atonement. I was far too yeah. young. <laughs> <laughs> it was in the DVD player after right. Christmas. And I remember I, I watched it and I remember... I remember I I was an actor when I was younger and I I remember loving it and knowing that I wanted to do it. And whenever I'd watch films with with like child actors in it, I'd always think like, what? That's so unfair. Why don't I have that role? (laughs) And I remember thinking so many times like, oh, I wish that I could do that or get to be seen for that. And I'd always then imagine that I, I should have played that role. And I remember with Atonement, I watched it and I was just so shocked by how amazing she was and I remember thinking at nine that she was the only person that could have played that and even documenting yeah some wishes to work with her right? yeah yeah I did uh, like a, what a diary no I just remember thinking that I and I remember saying I, I I I wish one day that I could just get a few lines with her or just just to to watch her work did you tell um, her this yeah I did and she told me to shut up <laughs> <laughs> That must yeah, it must be weird when you like you're both so young and to well, have yeah. somebody tell you I've been wanting to work with you my whole life. I think it's also that like when you don't know someone, you see them as this thing, and then when you know them, they become a different person. Right, They're right. a completely different thing. So right. I had actually kind of, in a way, forgotten that I had had those like deep yearning to want to meet her and you know I've always wanted to watch her work but when I got to know her we were just such pals and she instantly hit me and I instantly hit her literally because that was that is our relationship we're just basically like very physical sisters (laughs) (laughs) that by the end of the job I suddenly realized I was was doing like a, a, a happy rap card and I suddenly realized I was like oh shit I need to tell her that that I I like have loved her since I was nine. So I wrote it in a card That's great. and um, she found it hysterical. That's great. Well, I, I mean, I guess another thing that I don't think you'd had anything quite like up to that point was having a director who's not only, you know, what is she a few years older than you? It's not, not a lot older at no. all. And also a fellow actor. Does that make her a better director? Like, did you click more because there's the closeness in age or because she as as a fellow actor can direct actors better yeah i think she definitely understands how to treat an actor most definitely and and she i've heard from francine maisler who um casted it i've heard that when they did you know auditions in the room greta was very clear about how she didn't want anyone on the sofa when someone came out or when someone went in they didn't she didn't want them to to do that thing which is what so many casting experiences do there's a line of you and you all look the same and they all look better than you and you're like oh for god's sake (laughs) literally um and i think i heard that greta was really really clear that she didn't want any of that to happen so that already is like a a tick and a a wonderful win for actors Mm -hmm. but yeah she's just um there's 
no power. There's no like uh, I'm in charge and I'm the boss and you listen to me. It's a very equal relationship. And and she's so weird as well, which is great. Like she's really, really odd. (laughs) And um, she directs almost like she's directing music, almost like she can see music happening. So she'll come in and she'll she would have she won't really be looking at you. She'll be trying to hear it in her head of, of what you've just done in the scene. And then she'll go, OK, I've been hearing this and she'll do something with her hands. She'll do like a movement of like a, a chart going up. Oh, really? And she goes, and I actually want to be hearing this. And then she'll do another dramatic move with her hand. Oh, wow. So it's very like it's very physical. It's very um, musical. And and the way that she directs is so like she trusts you to do the stuff with your face. She knows that you can do that. <laughs> she is just trying to create this noise and this space and this thick air. And that's what was so odd and amazing about working with her is now that I watch those scenes back, she does everything. There's everything there that she was trying to do. But at the same time, I think solicitous of other ideas. I mean, I heard the thing with the you mentioned the scene of the burning of the books mm. or the burning of the book. I think that you may have shaped that a little bit. Uh, Wasn't there something where the, just even the fashion of it? Yeah, uh, that was me. That was your idea. <laughs> this is what you should I, do. <laughs> I just um, a I love that sweet spot in children. Anyway, I think like that age when you're basically still a child but you kind of look like an adult is so hard and so tricky. And I've been in so many situations when I was like thirteen where I could talk talk like I knew how to talk to adults and then I'd say like one thing like oh my god cookies and they'd go oh my god you're so young and I think that's just like a constant thing that happens in that like age of time and I I just always loved the idea of Amy always slightly being a girl behind closed doors and then when there's people there she knows how to act the part and she knows how to you know bat her eyes and and show off her new clothes and I just I loved that whole the idea of her in her fairy wings whilst Joe and Meg are leaving. And she goes, but I can come. She's clearly not ready for the theatre. But she's still in that kind of like childlike phase of, no, I can go to the theatre and be a grown-up with wings in my back. And then, of course, funnily enough, she then goes to burn the book. And I like the fact that that is representing who she is in that moment. She is a child and she doesn't know what's best, but she knows that she's angry and kids most often than not have tantrums because they don't know how to explain themselves. They don't know how to say that they're really bloody angry because I I feel like you should have let me go to that party, Mm. but instead they throw shit and and they have a tantrum. (laughs) And, and I think, you then get that skill when you grow up. So I just love the idea of her being a kid in that moment. And it's so obvious that she is a child and she's, she's trying to desperately tell someone that she is hurt whilst looking like a kid. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and then just one other moment from little women I want to ask about is the, the monologue to Laurie basically explaining the, plight or the the challenges of being mm. a woman i i think did meryl have some influence over apparently that? so i didn't realize this but apparently meryl sat with greta and basically said why little women was important and said why it's, it's still important now and apparently she was basically saying to greta no but you need to tell them that this is what it was like as a woman in this time and essentially i think greta reduced that and put it into a speech and on the day this is just how like (laughs) mad she is on the day she was like hey Flo uh, let's go through the scenes we went through the scene and then we were all ready to shoot and someone just needed to do a lighting thing and she's like oh wait um, do you think and she did like a cheeky face (laughs) if you could uh, learn this uh, uh, before we go and And this was the whole speech and this was the speech she gave me this speech and I was like you you want this for today? And I'm quite a quick learner. Yeah. Like I, when I get into it, I'm actually not bad at, at, at memorizing stuff. But I remember even then I was like, oh my God, That's this a is a lot. Mm. And they wanted to do it in a one They didn't want to break it up. So obviously a one is when you do one take mm. and any form of one is really impressive. And like, and like when it, whether it's camera work or stunt work. Why um, didn't she give you that before that? day you could she just came up with it i think she knew she wanted to have it but i think if she gave it to me they might have told her that that was too much in for a scene so i think she wanted to give it to me on the day um but i remember doing it and i remember 
it was so lengthy that and because it was a one up when it came to the last two lines of it I remember thinking don't screw up 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 and there are like a couple of takes where I literally go like economic <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> Where I'm like, it's almost like my mouth is going too fast for my right, brain, and I'm like, right. blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so do you remember how many takes there were? I think there was probably like four or five. It's oh, a great moment in the movie. Um, Thank you. Last few things, just I think people will be excited to know if they don't already that you are joining the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You have joined the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Where are we with? Black Widow. And who are you in this and and where where is the production? So I play Yelena Belova, who is uh, Scarlett Johansson's character's Na- Natasha Romanoff's younger sister. Mm-hmm. Well, sisterly relationship. And uh, we shot it this summer in London, in Budapest, in Morocco and Atlanta, but mostly in London at Pinewood Studios. And uh, it's set to come out next year which is nuts um have you ever like, seen anything on that scale it must i be mean yeah, weirdly i had seen big stuff before yeah. when i did outlaw king that was a nice and i actually think they're quite similar they are similar sizes this the scale of of fighting scenes in outlaw king was unbelievable the scale of of set design and costumes was unbelievable so i had seen that level of well that mass of production before. how about cg i'm assuming there's some cgi well yeah, that's the thing. I'd never done that before. So what's that? What, do you like working that way? Uh, y- yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's better when you have someone with you next to right. you than you can be like <laughs> Rather than doing a weird ball. faces together. Yeah, <laughs> but um, no. So did that, and and I obviously, I mean, it is huge. It's Marvel, so it's it's not tiny. Don't worry, guys. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it it was it was mega, and just the thing that I did get shocked by was the infinite possibilities of what could happen. Just like oh, this could happen in a scene, or this could happen in a scene, and they'd be so different from one another. And you're like, what? Oh, that's how big Marvel is. And they really are, like, one of the biggest, last creators, I think. When we were getting ready to go out to do this um, AFI Fest panel the other day, you mentioned, I I was saying, like, are you processing, (laughs) are you having time to process this? And you mentioned that it's not until, I think, pretty recently that you even, like, had any kind of a... uh, pause to to do that so one of the aspects of that that i was curious about is like before it it started get getting so busy and particularly in the last year with three movies coming out one about to come out have you even been around sort of in one place long enough to notice the public's familiarity with you increasing No. no a i think wonderfully me and also audiences are so keen on on liking films when they go to the cinema. Like, they really want to fall in love with the characters and they really do want to enjoy the story. And I think because of that, people see you as the character that they've seen you as. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I've been playing very different-looking characters for the last four years of my right. career. So I think, wonderfully, people are that, like, nicely na- naive, in a sense. Right. They they see you as either Lady Macbeth or as, <laughs> you know... But and, and I look completely different. And I've been in conversations with people where they've been talking about my film and they have no idea that it's me. <laughs> so I, I've had this really nice little pocket of time where I've been able to do this work and still be this little baby and still be this person that is, like fresh-eyed and excited to learn and I don't have any stigma or or any weight behind me or my name. Are you excited, nervous, apprehensive about when, I mean, you do a Marvel movie, that's going to change, so. I know it's going to change. I know it's going to change, but I also feel like I, I don't feel scared by it because I feel like I've done a body of work that I'm still proud of yeah. and whichever fan you are, I am, I'm, very happy that you found my work and I I don't feel I don't feel like I'm losing out on anything Uh, and I also think that wonderfully every single time a project has been released I haven't been in the country or I've been somewhere else so I haven't been able to see the effects of press or the effects of like a piece in the newspaper or any of that I've just been kind of bobbling along doing my films so I'm sure it will happen and my my uh, my stylist said the other day she was like it's just gonna happen one day yeah. and it's gonna happen and I was like no it's not <laughs> and she was like well it will it will yeah <laughs> um but I I don't know what that is because every di- like 
I feel like every year there's been a new expansion and right. a new pocket of of what's this realm and, right. and oh my goodness I have fans and I feel like it's been a really wonderful gradual rise and I don't feel like it has just happened overnight which is nice it's I a nice feeling I discovered your uh, your fans when the photos that from that AFI Fest panel uh, went up and, and everybody's <laughs> tagged and then suddenly I've got Florence Pugh Brazil <laughs> retwe- you know every different incarnation of your fan base uh, tagging yeah, me and crap, so that was nice. They're That's very it. handy. My friends yeah. check their pages out more so than mine because they're like, I now know where you are. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, last question is just, you know, on that panel you mentioned a Western is something you want to do, just sort of like a down and dirty type Hell movie, yeah. all that. What else? I mean, so looking forward, what's on the to-do list? Um, I don't know. I've never planned any part of my career things have just popped up when they do and um and amazing scripts have just have been there right time right place i'm a big fan of saying that because i think it is it's what you do with that moment when it happens but um i don't know what's next That's i'm gonna have some time off actually Good. finally Good. which my publicist is very happy about <laughs> <laughs> she nods uh, yeah. yes <laughs> i'm gonna have some time off because i think i'm a bit tired yes uh which is totally allowed and um what does some time off mean though i hope it's not just like a couple weeks uh, well, I have to bear in mind that I'm going to be releasing two films in the yes. space of five months. Big movies. And they're big movies. Yeah. And that's going to require a lot of energy. And I just, I don't, I don't, I feel like I, do, I shouldn't be trying to be a better version of myself right now. I can right. just be doing me and yeah. talking about these films. Very good. Um, but you're right. I would love to do a Western. My goodness. I want to go to Lone Pine and film some <laughs> random Western there. Well, that, that would be awesome. We hopefully have somebody listening to make this happen. Write uh, that script, guys. <laughs> Thank you so much. Appreciate Thank it. Thank Thanks very much for tuning in to Awards Chatter. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that and would really appreciate you taking a minute more to subscribe to our podcast on your podcast app of choice and to leave us a rating as well. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Scott Feinberg. And you can follow all of my coverage between episodes at thr.com slash the race. Finally, be sure to check out all of the other shows that are part of the Hollywood Reporters Podcast Network. Rebecca Ford and Rebecca Sons' Hollywood Remixed, Leslie Goldberg and Daniel Feinberg's TV's Top 5, Josh Wiggler's Series Regular, Carolyn Giardina's Behind the Screen, and Seth Abramovich and Chip Pope's It Happened in Hollywood. On behalf of all of us at The Hollywood Reporter, thanks for listening.